Would you join me tonight in the book of Esther? Esther chapter 8, and I'd like to read the last three verses of this. And we'd like to look at Mordecai, to, Mordecai tonight more in depth than we have in the past. He has a great deal of type, shadow, and picture of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the book of Esther chapter 8, it tells us after he has been promoted, he has been promoted by the king, and he's been promoted in such a capacity that we notice him in his dress. People are going to recognize him as a servant of the king, as someone that has been elevated by the king, someone that has been brought up by the king. And it tells us, and Mordecai went out from the presence of the king. Now, when he's traveling around in town, this is what he's going to look like. And it is a, a robe and a crown that people recognize that he is representing the king. It says here, from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white and with a great crown of gold and with a garment of fine linen and purple and the city of Susan rejoiced and was glad. Now, it doesn't seem that anybody has mourned the passing of Haman except maybe his wife and friends. But most of the people in this city were glad that Mordecai has been promoted to the position he is in. It tells us in the last two verses of this chapter, the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and every city, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a good day, and many of the people of the land became Jews. For the fear of the Jews fell upon them. What, what an interesting passage of scripture we have here. Now, I'd like to look at this man, Mordecai, some tonight and compare him with someone far greater, far more honorable, and has a far greater mission than Mordecai did. But he is certainly a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I asked myself, where did Mordecai come from? Now, when earlier on in this book, we found out where he came from. But join me, if you would, in the book of 2 Kings for a short reading. In the book of 2 Kings, it, there's kind of a summation of what took place. And it tells us here how Mordecai come to be where we are reading about him at this point. In 2 Kings chapter 24. 2 Kings chapter 24, and there in verse 6, 2 Kings chapter 24 and verse 6, we find here that there's trouble in the land. The kings that represented the people, they get worse and worse. Now, this is Judah. This is not Israel. Not, this is not the ten tribes. They've already been dispersed. These folks last some 200 years longer and yet the end is coming. It tells us in verse 6, So Jehoiakim slept with his fathers, and Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his stead. And the king of Egypt came not again any more out of his land. Now it apparently uh, we find that there's reference here to the point that the king had been helping Israel against Babylon. 
And you know, it tells us in the scriptures, don't trust in Israel and don't trust in horses, but trust in the Lord. Well, these kings, since they didn't have a heart to believe and these kings that had no knowledge about the goodness of grace, they always went somewhere else instead of the right place. And that's just normal. It goes on to tell us here that the, uh, for the king of Babylon had taken from the river of Egypt unto the river Euphrates all that pertaineth to the king of Egypt. So there's a reason that they don't get any help. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months, and his mother's name was Nehashta, the daughter of Elathan, Elnathan of Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city, and his servants did besiege it. Now, if we knew the truth of what was going on in here, we'd probably find out it was much like the siege in AD 70. There wasn't a pleasant place to be in the city. And Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon, he and his mother and his servants and his princes and his officers, and the king of Babylon took him in the eighth year of his reign. This siege has taken place for some time. And now the king capitulates, gives up, and he carried out thence all the treasures. Nebuchadnezzar carried out of thence all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold which Solomon king of Israel had made in the temple of the Lord as the Lord had said. And he carried away all Jerusalem and all the princes and all the mighty men of valor, even 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and smiths. None remained save the poorest of sort of the people of the land. And he carried away Jehoiachin to Babylon, and the king's mother, and the king's wives, and his officers, and the mighty of the land, those he carried into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. And all the men of might, even seven thousand, and craftsmen and smiths, a thousand, and all they that were strong and apt to war, even them the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon. Now, somewhere... In this great group of people is Mordecai and his niece Esther. Now it doesn't tell us much about what Mordecai did when he was in Jerusalem or in Judah. It doesn't give us much. But it must have been that he had some high esteemed position because the poorest of them were left behind. It, he must have had some great craftsman or smith's position, or he might have been one of the princes that was carried off. We do not have a lot of said in the scriptures about what Mordecai was until we find him in the book of Esther. You know, as we think about it, we don't have a lot of information about the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ before he came to this earth. Now there are verses, and we're going to look at a few of them, but we don't have a lot to say. I'll never forget that message that an old preacher was preaching. It was related to me many, many years ago that there was a preacher out in the woods preaching, and there was no room in the building. Everybody was standing out the windows, 
And this other preacher that was traveling decided he wanted to see what was going on. And he got up to the window and this old preacher is saying, where was the Lord before he created the heavens and the earth? And where was the Lord before he created man? And where was the Lord before he did all these things? And he hollered at the top of his lungs, in his glory. Now it takes a while to describe that. To describe in his glory. As we think about Mordecai being carried off, and not a lot of information is shared with it, but we do find out that he probably had a great position and that he was an honorable man and that he was taken off by the decree of Almighty God. He was taken out of one place and put in another by the decree of God. And that is the truth of the matter. Um, while you're there... Travel with me to chapter 25 of that Second Kings. Chapter 25 and verse 21. And the king of Babylon smote them and slew them at Riblah in the land of Hamath. So Judah was carried away out of their land. Now, somewhere in chapter 24 or in chapter 25, we're going to find a man by the name of Mordecai and his niece by the name of Esther. And we'll get to that in just a moment when we get back over there into the book of Esther. But let's look at a few verses of Scripture that share with us some things. As we look at that, we say, oh my goodness. Now that's good, but I can't get my head around it. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Micah. As we think about Mordecai as a type and a shadow and a picture of the Lord, we find there's not a lot said about him in his prior life, in his previous time. But as we find also in the scriptures that there is not a lot said about what the Lord was doing before the foundation of the world. But there are a few things, and the church rejoices in these things. In the book of Micah, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Now this is just one of those verses that, it's it just such a blessing, but I'm still trying to figure out what it all means. Because I'm, I'm so finite, and he is so infinite. I'm so limited, and he's so unlimited. I'm so unpowerful, and he's so almighty powerful. And the description... It tells us here, But thou, Bethlehem, Epaphrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to the, be the ruler of Israel. Now notice this last part. This is a glimpse of what we see about our God before creation, before he makes statements about what he intends to do. His ministry, his, his three and a half years of ministry, the Gospels. The last part of Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, it says, now this is the description, whose goings forth have been from of old from everlasting. Now that is a verse of scripture that shares with us about the glory of the Lord before he came to this earth. It's hard to wrap around it because I can't understand everlasting. And it's hard to wrap around it because I can't understand everlasting to everlasting. 
He's talking about the very beginning and the very end, all in the same verse of Scripture. But he is from old, came forth, from whose goings forth have been of, from of old, from everlasting. This is our God. This is our Lord that's being spoken of. And as Mordecai was in that group somewhere and traveled up to um, uh, Babylon sometime with his niece, we find that this is where the Lord Jesus shares with us about himself. Let's look at a couple other verses in the Psalms. In the Psalms. Let's look in the Psalms here. Psalm 90, as it shares with us, Mordecai was almost a hidden person until we find him taken off into captivity. And so it is with our Lord. A few verses, and they're glorious verses, and we don't really appreciate them until we have been acquainted with God, when we've been born again. So in the book of the Psalms, Psalm 90, verse 1, Psalm 90 and verse 1, it shares this about our God, about the Lord. Psalm 90 and verse 1, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or even thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. What a statement. But the church has trouble wrapping themselves around that. We appreciate this God because he is so grand. We appreciate God because he's so almighty. And he shares with us this, From everlasting to everlasting thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight is but as yesterday when it is past and as a watch in the night. A thousand years. Now to us, going back 2,000 years, we're at the time of Christ. Two days ago. <laughs> Well, as a watch in the night, we cannot compare God to anything. You know, I've made a mistake many times about trying to compare him to different things so I can get my head wrapped around it. And then I was pointed out a verse of scripture that says, to what will you compare me? Don't compare me to anything because I'm incomparable, uncomparable. But we do find these verses that share with us a little bit now, I find this with, that, with regard to Mordecai. Well, I, ha, I, I think he's probably in this group of great smiths, great carpenters, princes, somewhere in this realm, because he's carried off into captivity. Look with me again in Psalm 102. In Psalm 102, we have this passage of Scripture about our great God. Psalm 102 and verse 25. The scriptures say, share this, Psalm 102, verse 25. Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. What a statement about God. What a statement about our Savior, that there is no beginning, no end. There's this He has created. He has done all of this great work, and yet such little to be understood about Him. And that's for our benefit. It's good. I've, I mentioned many times, we don't want a God we can understand. 
We need a God that can understand us and our need, and he does. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Here in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, what a statement is made here that God did before the world began, before there was a man. He's in his glory, and part of his in his glory is that he worked out, perfected what he was going to do with fallen men and women, what he would do for them. He would not leave them all stranded. He would take care of them by his mighty power. And he brings that out here. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Before the foundation of the world, God has determined that all his church, all the elect, all his saints will be holy and without blame. He will perfect them so well. In the book of the Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 7, it says, I believe it says, we are without spot. My mother can't even find the dirt behind the ear that she used to find on our way, our way to church. <laughs> Get your ear up here so I can look at it. That's not even going to be there. We are, and that's what God did before the foundation of the world. In Colossians, in the book of Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, these verses are just familiar to us because they are so declarative of this God that we have that not a lot is said about what took place before the foundation of the world, but we relish in what is said. Uh, in whom we have redemption through his... Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created. So we have another glimpse. By him all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So when we read in the scriptures about the great adversary, the devil, we find out that he's the God's devil. He's created for a purpose. He was created by Almighty God like all the angels, even those that fell. He created them on purpose. And so he, is, he has, uh, has power over all things, and by him everything exists. And here again we find just a little bit more information about this God that was before the foundation of the world, prepared for the fall, prepared to save his people from their sins, writing it down in the Lamb's book of life. What does he say to those on the right-hand side? Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. A little more information about what he has been doing on the behalf of the church. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Read this with me as we think about the great work of God. God, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past by the fathers, uh, unto the fathers by the prophets. You know, before the foundation of the world, all of the word that God would ever give to humanity had already been prepared. From eternity, it was prepared in his mind what he would give to those prophets and preachers of righteousness. 
it was all worked out and decreed and declared. And thus we have in, the, in the, its original form the perfect word of God. In Hebrews chapter 13, we read this. In verse 20, we've read this several times recently. The blood of the everlasting covenant. The blood of the everlasting covenant. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. So once again, we have a glimpse of what was happening, what was transpiring in the council halls of eternity. We find he was delivered by the determinate council and foreknowledge of God. Again, a glimpse of what was going on on the behalf of the church before the world began. Well, as we follow Mordecai, we find that whatever position he had, whatever trade he had, whatever prince or nobility he was, he is carried off into captivity just like the rest of the host. It didn't matter. He is carried off. He's taken away. And as we follow this, we find out, going back to the book of Esther, we find that Mordecai and Esther are carried off together from and put into captivity. Now God has already told in the scriptures that they're going to go into 70 years of captivity. And since we know a little bit about God, not everything, but we know a little bit about God, everyone that was carried off into captivity was known unto God. He knew them by name. He had them carried off and determined to carry them off. They were going to be his people in a strange land. Now, it doesn't mean that every one of them was saved, but Mordecai and Esther give us a strong, strong representation of what a believer is. They believed God. You remember what Mordecai said to Esther? You may not deliver these people, but if not, someone else will be raised up to deliver these people. He understood God was going to deliver these people. All right, turn with me back to the book of Esther in chapter 2. In chapter 2 of the book of Esther, in verse 5, Esther chapter 2. Now, we went over this some time ago, but we want to look at it again because it helps us understand that as Mordecai is taken off, the description is left for us right here in Esther chapter 2. Esther chapter 2, beginning with verse 5, we have these words. Now, in Shushan the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. So we got, his, we got his lineage. We can trace him back. He could trace himself back. We have him. Now, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity which had been carried away with Jehoiakim, Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And he brought up Hadasha, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother was dead, took, her, took for his own daughter. Now, did you notice in verse 6? 
he has been carried he went from Jerusalem into Babylon whatever position he had he is carried to Babylon like everybody else you know that's an interesting thought about our Savior in order to deliver his people from their sins he had to come like unto his brethren whatever it was before the foundation of the world and whatever glory that he had he shares with us in John chapter 17 I believe it's verse 14 he says father restore unto me the glory that I had with you before the world was now I can't wrap my head around that but he was in glory and it was a glorious glory and it was an eternal glory and it was a glory so perfect and so honorable but it tells us that he gave up that glory for the suffering of death now we find that Mordecai was treated just like any other captive. Whatever position he had before was unbeknownst to the people where he was taken. And we find out he was an honorable man and he shared some information with, with Esther about the threat on the king, but nothing happened to him. And he was still just a captive. Until one day, by the providence of God, the king can't sleep, and he requests them to read the chronicles of the kingdom. And lo and behold, the person in charge turns to the page, or roll, whatever it is, a scroll or book, and right there in black and white, someone had written that Mordecai had done a great deed for the king, and the king comes to his senses and says, has anything been done for this man? Well, the record says no. Now, if something had have happened, it would have been put there. And they said, no, nothing's been done. Well, we know the rest of the story. Something was done for him. But then he goes back again, and he's out there on the porch. Well, as we follow our Savior, turn with me to John chapter 1 again, if you would. No, all that he had, he gave up. Every bit of it, he gave up. In John chapter 1, John chapter 1 and verse 14. Now, what a statement this is. We've read in verses 1 and 2 about the Word, and we recognize by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that this Word is Christ the Lord. This is the Messiah. This is the, the Son of God. This whatever words we can use to describe are good words because they're biblical words. But this word that made the heavens and the earth, this word was made flesh. Now that was not a step up. Mordecai was not promoted when he was taken into captivity. He became a servant. And when we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, we find he became a servant. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, as they went through the ministry that he had, day to day, they saw things that nobody else could do. And yet when it came time to stand up for him at the end, the word of God was carried out 
to the fullest, and not one of them stood with him. And I've mentioned the sin of Peter and the sin of Judas are about a nickel apart. The only thing different is grace. Grace that God had for Peter and no grace for Judas. He has made vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. All right. The word was made flesh. Well, this is what a, a statement is found throughout the scriptures about this one who had all glory, who was a prince, who was glorious in his own glory. He didn't create the earth because he needed the earth, and he didn't create man because he needed man. It was all created out of pure sovereign grace. It didn't add a thing to God. He didn't need it, but he chose by grace to do it. And he created the heavens and the earth, and he created man, and he, the fall took place, and he already had his servant in preparation for coming. The lamb prepared from the foundation of the world to be the lamb slain. Turn with me, if you would, over to the book of Hebrews again. In Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Yeah, I think it, I'm, I'm going to go try this one. Okay, it's Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, excuse me. Hebrews chapter 2. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, a servant, God's servant, the chosen servant, in many ways put into captivity to think about the God of heaven put into a body, the God of heaven put into a womb. Captive. What? Made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. The God of heaven made for the purpose, made a man for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Now we know that that's not every man without exception. We're not going to argue that. But he did taste death for the church. He, he was put to death on the behalf of the church. He became a servant. The scriptures tell us that he became a servant. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God and gave up that position that he had of great glory. Just as we follow Mordecai, you know, it's probably a whole lot more chaos in his life when he was carried off to Babylonian captivity than there was in the life of the Lord Jesus but the Lord Jesus came down as it was promised that he would be the seed of David, the king through the kingly uh, line. He would be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. In chapter 10 of this book of Hebrews, we read this, chapter 10 and verse 5, about him being made a man, demoted, if you please, 
And that's why we hear him cry in John 17, restore unto me the glory that I had with you before the world was. Well, that glory is going to be as a result of going to the cross. We find here, wherefore he cometh into the world, he saith, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast no pleasure. Time and time again, bring no more vain oblations. It's all it turned out to be. They were only pictures and types and shadows, but they became vain oblations. And he said, In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast no pleasure. This is God speaking. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written to me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings, the offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hast thou pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified to the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. By the body of Christ. What we find here, that he would give up the glory. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So, you know, Mordecai, the verse we read tonight says, he's walk, walking around in blue and white robes with a crown on his head. He has been promoted. The king has promoted him. You know, as we find out about our Lord and Savior, he came. He was in his glorious state. Glory, glory, glory. Holy, holy, holy is what we read about him. And then he came as a servant to do the king's will, to do his father's will. And as Mordecai was exalted, we find Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Read with me here. Romans chapter 1, verse 4. This great statement about our Savior. Romans chapter 1, verse 4. It tells us here, he is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness what by the resurrection from the dead what a blue and white robe is on him what a crown has been placed upon him he's declared to be the son of god you know those jews at the time of the lord jesus he made a statement one time and says before abraham was i am you know what they did they picked up stones because he made himself God. Well, he didn't have to make himself God. He was God. And here we find he's declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Declared. God gave him this fitting garment. <laughs> Resurrected power. Declared it by the resurrection from the dead. In chapter 8 of the book of Romans, what glory we see him in. The resurrected Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Romans chapter 8 and verse 34, we read this. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again who is even at the right hand of God and maketh intercession for us. 
What a statement. You know, Mordecai is going to make intercession for people. He's the one that came up with the letter to have the king put his signet on to send out to the people that they shall be free. Mordecai has been exalted. Mordecai has been lifted up. Mordecai is dressed in the robe of the king and the crown and what glory. And then we read the same thing about our Savior, that he is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. In his glory became a servant and returned to his glory. Why is he at the right hand of the Father? Because God said he paid the price. He wouldn't accept him back if he didn't. But it was determined before the foundation of the world that he would be very successful on the cross, that he would pay for all the sin of all his people, and as a result, he could impute righteousness through every generation to his people. And he has. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And there in verse 20, we read this about the exalted Savior, which... He wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his right hand in heavenly places. You know, as Mordecai went through the town, what did the people do? They rejoiced. They were glad. And what does the church do today as a result of the resurrected Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father? They rejoice in Christ. They rejoice in His blood and righteousness. They rejoice in His death, burial, and resurrection. And here, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in heavenly places. And then, for just a couple or three verses in the book of Hebrews, would you turn there with me? As Mordecai is out walking through the city and people are in great joy, our Savior sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us in glory. What glorious state He is in. Hebrews chapter 1. Join me again in Hebrews chapter 1 there in verse 3. Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. What a glorious position he holds. And the church is not only thankful, but we rejoice that he sits down. We've mentioned a number of times, there's no chairs at the tabernacle. And there's no chairs in the temple. But there is a chair in heaven that the king of glory got to sit down in because he completed the work. One of the reasons there were no chairs there in the Old Testament around those two religious places, that work was never done. On and on and on it went. And this work has been completed. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 1. Notice this with me as we think about the glory of our Savior. The glory We know more about His resurrected glory than we ever do about the glory that He had before the world was, even though He created the world. Can you tell me how He did that? I don't have to be explained how He did it because the Scripture said He did. We believe it. We've given, we are given the privilege to believe it. 
it's just is part of our being. All right, Hebrews chapter eight, and there in verse one. Now of the things spoke, the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. This is the summation of it. We have a savior that was successful. He died for the sins of his people. He was so convincing in his death that he was buried. And in his burial, he was raised again the third day. And then he was ascended back to the father. And he sat at the throne of the majesty on the right hand. Why is it? that the people on the right hand are said, welcome to the kingdom prepared for you because that's the side the Lord's on. I'm just saying that. All right. And then in chapter 10 of this same book, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12, we read this. Mordecai was walking around. What glory had been given to him? He once was in glory. Whatever he did there in Jerusalem or in Judah, brought to be a servant and then exalted by the king. But this man, after he had, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, offered one sacrifice for sins forever the multiple sacrifices that were offered that could do not one thing for sin, this man, by the sacrifice of himself for sin, sat down forever. And in chapter 12, verse 2, chapter 12 and verse 2, we read this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Back to glory. Back to glory. And has promised that everyone he ransomed, everyone he paid the debt for, will be assembled with him in time. And then finally, if you'll look with me at 1 Peter 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And there in verse 22. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 22. One more statement about His glory. Who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. What a statement. You know, as we follow Mordecai out, he is going to be a great representative of the people of God. And our representative is a great representative of the people of God. So great that he purchased them all by the ransom of himself on the behalf of them. So he goes from glory to servant to back to the right hand of the Father. Mordecai, he's out there. No comparison, but a type. He had that honorable position. And one day someone came along and says, sorry, you're going to Babylon. 
Got to Babylon, he's camped outside in the street and then promoted to the second highest position in the realm. What a statement about our Savior. He's not promoted to the second. He's promoted to the highest station in the realm. We'll stop there tonight.